0: ladies and gentlemen welcome to another episode of the sample hour um this is going to be the last episode one of the last episodes on the talk show feed um i got the new rss feed up for the sample so please go to itunes and subscribe to the sample while you're at it click in the search box box and type in out of the box podcast subscribe to that one and then once you listen to it give it a great review because it's a great podcast Um, on today's episode our guest is a comedian a model a writer an actor and the host of a badass podcast miss rosie tran enjoy guys episode of the sample hour today I have a very special guest um I heard her on you may have actually heard her on the ice house chronicles um dysentery podcast right isn't that what we just said Rosie yes (laughs) and out of the box she has her very own podcast the out of the box podcast which is a really good podcast you guys should definitely check it out um I came across uh you Rosie actually on um jake desilis's uh podcast voluntary life you did a couple really great episodes with jake and uh you know and i was just hearing you talk about wanting to get out of the rat race and and basically you know just some strategies that that you've done to kind of really position yourself to be able to 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 leave the the crazy rat race so i wanted to have you on to talk about it but uh thanks for coming on the show
1: I am so excited to be on the show, and I want to talk about something really important that you mentioned before we started, Yes, and that is that you said, well, you know, you're not really forward-thinking. Most comics are not forward-thinking, and that's actually one of the reasons I decided to get that way, because I was in my early 20s doing stand-up in L.A., and I had many, many comedian friends who were very, very successful, and then saw them lose success and, you know, become borderline homeless. And I also had a lot of comedian friends who were pretty big headliners and they were crashing on people's couches and just had no financial stability whatsoever. Yeah. So yeah, it's that quite- was really important to me to figure out how to get residual income and also become financially stable because regardless of your, you know, success level, unless you're Joe Rogan and you're making, you know, seven figures, uh, this industry is very, very up and down.
0: Yeah, it really. Um, if you're not careful, it's going to chew you up and spit you out. Like just, just watching. I mean, there's there's so many comics that you just see. It's just, it's just sad to see. Even just, I think famous like people that are like in that in in that part of the country, just kind of seeking whatever it is that they're seeking. You just kind of see it happen, and I, and and it, you know, it's easy to get sucked into the. Um, and I even think if you just have a good <clears throat> job, like I know personally for me. Um, I actually, you know, I I had a pretty good job and I for the Midwest and I didn't really have like any I wasn't really future thinking and then, you know, I was spending all my money and then I lost my job and it was kind of like, oh, you know, what do I do now? And so now that like it like I've personally rebuilt myself, um, you know, <clears throat> I really kind of identified with what you were talking about um on Jake's podcast with with, uh, adjusting your budget and everything. But what, what made you, so was there anything else that really made you shift gears and think about residual income? Like a lot of people, I know you, people know about it in Hollywood just because a lot of actors get paid on that. But, um, you know, when I was first kind of introduced to the concept of residual income, it was actually through like network marketing.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good way to get introduced to it.
0: And, uh, but mainly reading books, like so, to get passive income. So what, what was really something for you that, or what 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 really introduced you to passive residual income and um, so
1: you, you talked about being um, having a good job in the midwest and then you told me you were in Toronto are you in the states or are you oh no you no in no, Canada? no
0: I'm in uh, I'm in the states I help out uh, Joe um, Joe Rant and he lives in Toronto but we'll we I live in Ohio so it's only okay like an perfect. So drive. perfect so that's perfect
1: so a lot of people, especially right now with all of the bullshit you know, on the news constantly for the past six years, people are focused on the recession, the economy bad, blah, 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 blah. This is all bullshit. Okay, um, Drew, regardless of whether the economy is up or down, there's always financial opportunities out there for people. And actually, bad economies are even better for people to um, grow a business or grow residual income or grow their finances, because what happens is usually there's a lot of programs out there to help people. You know, for example, if you have a mortgage right now, you can refinance at a very low rate and get a cheap rate or things like that. So I really don't pay attention to any of the nonsense that's on the news. It's actually all bullshit. And also, America... um, You know, this isn't some type of right wing capitalism bullshit. It actually is one of the best places to build a business, build and actually pull yourself up from your bootstraps, regardless of, you know, people talking about Obama. Um, Having drone strikes and we have less freedoms than we've ever had, you know, ever, regardless of whether that's true or not, America is set up for capitalism, unfortunately, you know, I'm not a super pro capitalist, but the way that our society is set up is for people to actually make money, if they are um, independently minded and, and and have that thought process. You know, I've had exchange students coming over here and staying with me from Russia and Australia and all other places. And what they tell me is that the way that their system is set up is very, very restrictive when, you know, I start getting in in in-depth conversations with them. So the first thing you want to do is get your finances in order. You know, even if you make, you know, your household income with your spouse, only $40,000, Drew, you're actually in the 1% of the world in um, income. So, you know, people complain about their finances. Oh my God, I, you know, I don't have any money. And actually it really only costs about six or $7,000 to live in this country um, in a very meager way. And you can save the rest and invest the rest. So the first step is getting your finances in order. You know, it, there's so many things that people can do drew even if you want to go out drinking at the bar you know do shots at home and then just order a beer when you get to the bar there's like a thousand things that people can do to save money and most people are just oblivious to it and spending like mindless consumers
0: yeah i i, I agree with you 100 percent. i think it's um I think a lot of times, too, I think a lot of people think they have to move somewhere to make it. When I, I think in reality, like, I think for your business, definitely moving to L.A., being a comic is definitely... it. May, it's definitely, you know, you definitely get a lot more exposure. But I think for anybody that's not seeking a job in entertainment, I mean, you can really... I think honestly, you should try to find the least expensive place to live. I
1: totally agree with you. That is a perfect point, Drew. And I always say that, you know, to my husband, if I wasn't in the entertainment industry, I would leave LA in two clicks of a button. You know, there's people here that are mechanics, teachers. I honestly don't know why in the heck they're in LA paying, you know, $1,200 a month rent when they could own a house in middle America and have, be saving to get out of the rat race. But people get brainwashed by that, you know, oh, I need to be in a big city or, you know, a lot of people on the west coast and east coast are brainwashed that middle america is just you know a bunch of country bumpkins i love middle america i grew up in the south it's an absolutely wonderful place to live um and and people just don't realize that and they're just wasting money because they want to be in la or new york or whatever most of the people that i know that live in new york hate new york they wish they could get you know they're just there to make it so they can get the hell out so it's just ridiculous people who are, you know, accountants, teachers, lawyers, whatever, who are living in these insanely overpriced cities, you know, get your stick out of your butt. You know, New York and LA are not the godsend. Actually, I, I, like I said, I've lived in other places in middle America and it's absolutely beautiful. And you can have, you know, a nice house and a nice living, get out of the rat race 20 times quicker. Well, I think
0: too, I think, um, not only just get out of the rat race, but I think, you know, you know, something that I'm, doing myself. And I'm just super excited about it. I've lost sleep about it is, uh, you know, I'm about to move into like now I live, like I live in Columbus, which is a really nice area, but like, you know, where I live, I'm like, well, how could I cut down my cost of living even more? And so my, my friend actually owns a bunch of rental properties, um, in, uh, the inner city, more urban areas. So I'm going to go live there. But then, uh, you know, something that I wanted to do, cause I think a lot of people, sometimes they, they get worried about, crime or or anything else but i you know i really am just really getting all caught up in this urban farming thing rosie personally
1: that's so awesome yes i know friends
0: that do that and uh there's like a lot that and like for me personally like i in in columbus i can just rent i can rent a lot for like 10 bucks i don't even rent it i just say i'm gonna take care of it i'm gonna do whatever i want but even from there so growing my own food like i really want to grow my own food not just be in it it really started because of um I think, you know, I've heard you talk about this and I'm going to bring it back to to what we're talking about. But for me, it started from wanting to remove convenience out of my life. But not only can I like, you know, eat healthier, but I can make some money from it. Like I can go to a farmer's market or get more involved and start like a side business with it. And I think, um, you know, I I think that's something that people just need to look to. And the nice thing when you do grow food is, you know, you're going to make your neighborhood safer. You're going to make more people kind of want to get involved with it. And there's just kind of like a calming effect that comes from People walking by and it's seeing a garden in the middle of a, of an urban street. So I think, um, you know, I, I just think people just need to be more creative with the way they look at, look at, you know, their their surroundings, if that makes sense. That um, does
1: make sense. You make a lot of really good points, Drew. And not only that, but neighborhoods are overrated. Let me tell you something. I have lived in a very posh upscale neighborhood in Los Angeles. And I've also lived um, where I live now, which is a very blue collar working class neighborhood. And I had absolutely none, zero um, increase in lifestyle happiness by living in the high end area. People are literally brainwashed, Drew, that it matters what neighborhood you live in, location, location, location the only location that matters is return on investment when it comes to real estate. As far as actual living expenses, how much time do we actually, you know, unless you're living on a sprawling estate in, you know, some mansion or whatever, your apartment or your house, your condo or whatever you're living in, the location really doesn't matter that much. Like I said, I've lived in very high end areas and also a blue collar area. And I hear people all this time deluding themselves, brainwashing themselves. Oh, well, I pay $5,000 a month in rent, but it's totally worth it because I'm close to X, Y, and Z. Let me tell you something. The amount of time that they actually spend at X, Y, and Z is very minimal to the amount of actual, you know money that they're spending even people that live you know by the beach or whatever you know people that live on these beachfront properties saying oh well I wake up every morning to this view and the ocean and blah 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 the actual quality of life return on investment is very minimum to if they actually lived in the hood the only time there's a difference is if you're fearing for your life in a very specific way if you're in a violent neighborhood if you're in a place where you actually, you know, feel unsafe. But, you know, most neighborhoods um, that have violence, the violence is not random. It's targeted violence. So unless you're in an actual gang, Drew, you're not going to be affected by neighborhood violence. Uh, um, You know, random shootings, they're very, um, you know, the fear-based news wants you to believe that if you're in a dangerous neighborhood, there's gang members running around. These are just regular people like you and me trying to make ends meet. You're not going to be affected by crime unless you're in a gang. So these, these, these types of ideas are, are it's more class wa- class brainwashing and it doesn't really exist in reality.
0: Yeah, I agree. I you know, I remember when I was in college um there was a lot of break-ins but it was always in a certain neighborhood that and it was usually and it was usually drug related most likely like There's
1: was, a specific reason. It's not just yeah, random. Yeah,
0: it's never it's never a random thing. Like I, and I don't think in like, you know, something I'm going to do personally is you know, when I move in, I think I'll move in, in like a couple of weeks I'm going to go in there and I'm going to say, uh, you know, I'm going to, um, you know, meet all my neighbors. Ob- obviously, I'm going to try to recruit people to help me cultivate this garden, cultivate this lot. So I think um, I think it's just like your approach, I think. And I think you're absolutely right. I think turning off the news and getting that, you know, corporate bullshit out of your head. And I don't watch a lot of TV anyways just because I don't like commercials personally. Um, so I, I think, you know, that's, that's definitely a great strategy now. Um, but kind of shifting gears, I kind of got excited talking about all that stuff, Rosie, but I did actually want to ask you about what you're doing to (laughs) get out of the rat race. We kind of got on this, like, uh, sorry,
1: I'm very tangent. Oh no,
0: I'm this, you don't have to say sorry at all. I was enjoying (laughs) it. I was like, man, this is a really good exchange right here and exchange of dialogue. But, uh, you know, so like kind of getting back to your story and we, we can definitely go off on tangents still. Um, you know, so, so, you know, kind of taken back, we were talking about passive income before, um, you know, we were talking about how, you know, you saw people kind of fall from the top and really kind of look like they fell off a bridge, um, not be financially stable. So, you know, what, um, so what kind of, how, what approach did you take to, to say, you know, I need to learn, I need to get control of my finances. I really need to learn this stuff. Like, how did you go about doing that?
1: Okay, so I'll give you my exact technique. Um, which I, So, first of all, I want to say that I didn't see, not only did I see people fall off a cliff, I saw people who were very, very quote unquote financially successful not being able to make ends meet. Why? Because their lifestyle kept increasing with their increase in pay, which is basically just a higher form of indentured servitude. Um, and that's not really the, the goal, right? Because what happens if you lose that six figure job or what happens if you're, if you're on that TV show and it gets canceled? You're totally screwed, right? Absolutely. So, um, So my technique is super easy. I number one, you want to eliminate all forms of forms of debt. Debt. um, So I don't know if you know anything about history, but history constantly repeats itself. And even though we constantly keep growing and evolving, Drew. Basically, what we do is we create the same system over and over again, and we rename it different things. So you know, back in the eighteen hundreds, we had slavery and um, indentured servitude. Well, guess what? We still have slavery and indentured servitude. I'm not talking about you know sex trafficking and those. Things which do exist. I'm talking about people who are literally slaves to credit card debt and literally slaves to mortgages and other type of bills. Because what happens if you don't pay those bills? You have bill collectors after you. You have um, you can get judgments, liens, everything taken away from you. So that is a form of of, of servitude, um, which exists. It, it's just renamed, rebranded something else instead of indentured servitude. And so the number one thing you want to do is get rid of credit card debts and all debts. Um, I don't recommend bankruptcy, but if you do need to file bankruptcy, I would do it as soon as possible because it wipes your slate clean for seven. Um, and then you can start establishing your credit again in seven years. Also, another thing is a lot of people are afraid of bankruptcy because again, they've been brainwashed. And my my friend um, uh, who is an amazing bankruptcy lawyer actually explained to me that bankruptcy is actually a tool of the wealthy and it's nothing to be afraid of. And many wealthy people form LLCs or corporations and then file for bankruptcy in those LLCs. And then they still have good credit So bankruptcy is just kind of a tool that you can use to wipe debts clean. And a lot of people are just petrified of bankruptcy because they've been brainwashed again by the system that it's this awful, horrible thing. And, um, My friend who was a bankruptcy lawyer told me that several stories of people, including his own father, who filed for bankruptcy and then two years later was still able to buy a house because he had filed bankruptcy under an LLC. So um, bankruptcy is not something to be petrified of. It's actually a tool to help you if you're in over your head. If you're not in over your head and you want to pay off your debts, then um, a technique that I use, which is totally awesome, is I don't know if you ever get those 0% interest uh, APR cards in the mail offers, Drew.
0: Yeah, I get credit card offers. Uh, Whenever my credit's good, I definitely do.
1: Yeah. So a lot of people will get um, credit card offers. A lot of credit card companies are desperate right now because people aren't spending as much on credit. They're trying to be responsible. So you get one of those lovely 0% for two years or six months APR cards. And I actually learned this from a um, NPR story of a Mexican housemaid who used this to pay off all of her debts and put her kids through college um, on 0% interest. And I took all of my debt and I consolidated it onto the 0% interest card and so i was paying 0% interest on all my debts and then as soon as i reached the 6% uh 6 month or 1 year um timeline for when the 0% interest was going to expire i applied for another 0% interest card and i rolled over all the debt onto that until i paid off my all of my debts within 2 years including student loans so um that is super important because I don't think some people realize that they're paying 14, 16, 20% on the, those credit card loans. And that is a lot of, 20% is a lot, Drew. And a lot of people yeah. are paying 20% on their loans. And I even rolled over my husband's student loans onto a 0% interest card. So that will make your uh, credit card debt snowball into a zero super quick. That was the, that's step one, if you have credit card debts or any debts at all.
0: Yeah, No. so what if you don't qualify for a zero percent APR? Like what um because I know me personally when I went through tough times, like I charged off a ton of credit cards. And
2: now
1: Well I- um you might not qualify for a zero percent APR, but even if you have bad credit. Credit card companies, again, they love to woo people in. They want to, even if you have bad credit, Drew, and in fact, especially if you have bad credit, they're trying to suck you in because they know if you have bad credit, you're not going to be able to pay back and you're going to get sucked in with the interest and it's going to keep piling and piling. So if you don't qualify qualify for a 0% APR, there are other credit card offers that will offer you a lower interest rate than you already have to consolidate if you switch over your debt to them. So this is a regular, uh, sneaky... Um, tactic that credit card companies use, because they're expecting you to basically stay with them. And, um, and then what happens after the six month sample APRs, even if it's not 0%, if it's just a 5% or 10%, they usually reset to a ridiculous amount, like 25 or 30%. It's their manipulative technique to suck you in. And so you what you want to do is you want to outsmart them and use their techniques against them.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. I, I know it's like, if I'm a big, like, I don't, I'm a big fan of credit unions. I know a lot of credit unions have consolidation loans as well. Uh, credit
1: unions do. And there's also a really awesome website called lendingclub.com and they will lend to people with bad credit and help you consolidate as well.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. So, so you did that. So you paid off all your debt, which congratulations, by the way, that's, that's pretty awesome that you managed to do that all in two years, you said?
1: Yes. Thank you very much, Drew. And I didn't do it by myself. I had the awesome help of my husband. We were both working and um, I was doing comedy uh, full-time and working part-time and he was working full-time. And we also sold things on eBay and um, Craigslist and uh, Amazon. And we would do all sorts of thrifty things like that. And we ended up, you know, kind of in between us working three or four jobs and we ended up doing that. So we had a lot of help with each other. If you don't have a spouse or significant other, you can still do it on your own, but it will take a little bit longer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So okay. So you're you're all you're all like debt. You all you have all your debt paid off. So now what's next?
1: So debts are number one because Um, What people don't realize is how much money that debt is sucking out of them. You know, they just pay the minimum amount or they get in over their head and they get frustrated and they don't actually calculate the numbers. When you calculate the cold, hard numbers, you know, if you buy a, you know, a dollar candy bar with this and you're you're paying the bare minimum of your cars, you're not making your ends meet payments, then really you're paying five, six, seven, ten dollars for that one dollar candy bar Drew. So that's something I really want to drill into people's heads, how deep into indentured servitude they are when they have these types of heavy debts. And don't believe, you know, the bullshit where people say, oh well, some debt is good debt. And you know, you want to build your credit. No, you want to get rid of all this toxic debt that is holding you into servitude. So that's number one, first of all, most important. Number two is you want to start um, getting your budget into order and that kind of goes along with getting the credit card debts into order. So, you know, you need to, a lot of people tell me um, all the time and I do um, finance coaching for my friends. I haven't done it um, professionally, but I've done it for a lot of friends who have asked me for help. And I, you know, anyone who's interested can message me and I'm more than happy to send you tips. Um, a lot of people say, well, Rosie, I'm barely making ends meet. I could I'm living paycheck to paycheck. And then I sit down with them and I go through their finances and it turns out they're not living paycheck to paycheck. They've turned a lot of wants into needs. And that those are two different things. Like I said, going to the bar and spending a hundred bucks. How many times have you gone out, Drew, and you, you just get a couple of drinks and your tab is like fifty bucks or something? You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Most it depends on where you go. But yeah, definitely you're gonna spend a lot more money if you drink out in public.
1: And people, a lot of people are like, well, I have to go out. I'm a comedian or I have to go out. You know, what about, you know, am I not supposed to have a social life? You can totally have a social life. But remember when you were in college and you were totally broke? What did you do? You drank at home and then you went and hung out at the bar. You don't have to go to the bar. You know, you go home and you hang out and you drink at home if you want to get buzzed or whatever, or you go to the liquor store, you kind of do do it the getaway and then you go. To- <laughs> You go to the bar and you get a Coke or, you know, you have a drink. That is a huge way to cut down money. Same thing with going out with friends. You know, say, well, what am I supposed to do, Rosie? Not go to my friend's birthday dinner? No, what you do is you make a sandwich and you eat it at home and then you go out to dinner with your friends and you have like an appetizer and, and you tell people, hey, I'm on a budget. Nobody, Drew, nobody is going to say, oh, you're on a budget. What's wrong with you? Every, every single person will totally understand, you know, that you're trying to reach a financial goal or that you, you know, might be tight on money. Everyone understands that concept.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And um I think that's that's a great idea. I know, uh, you know, one thing that I did because I tried to I really try to cut back drinking anyways, is I noticed that if I put like just club soda with lemon and lime and at a bar and I just drink that, people don't even think that like it looks like you're drinking alcohol, so you don't <laughs> even get harassed. So that's and that's a free that's a free option, guys. So um uh, It is
1: free, yeah.
0: Yeah, but that's yeah. So so getting on a budget and you know just letting people know and not, I think not being afraid to say, hey, I'm on a budget. And I think you know, I think a lot of times people want to keep up with the Joneses. So I think you know, just just doing something different, anyways, it's gonna. People are, will kind of, I think you might get some resistance from people at first, but then people will just be like, oh, that's just how he is now. or That's just how, how she is now. So
1: you do. And if you have someone that's so concerned, why you're not spending 50, 60, $70 out on a night out, you know, you might want to reconsider being friends with that person because that's a really shallow friendship if they're so upset about it. And, you know, you can nip it in the bud with a quick joke, you know, like, hey, buddy, if you're so worried about me spending all this money, why don't you, why don't you buy my dinner tonight? Or why don't you buy a round tonight? You know what I mean?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, put
1: it, put it back on them.
0: So, so some budgeting tricks. So you, so you did, so you, you know, so you started adjusting your, so you, you coach your friends, you adjust their budgets. Um, you know, so what, what are, there, what are some other things that, that you do?
1: So that's really, budget is really important because most people are spending way above their means. And, and once you start shifting your, your, the psychology of it, you start realizing that it's all a bunch of BS. You know, like I was a shopaholic, true. I loved going shopping. You know, my mom is kind of a mini hoarder and I learned to buy my feelings away. And what I learned is that, it's all about the purchasing that gives you the high, right? So you get a little bit of high when you buy something new for yourself, but it doesn't necessarily have to be something new. You get the same amount of high from going to Goodwill and getting a deal and buying something for five bucks as you do for spending $500. It's literally the exact same high. So it's just switching yourself from a high end mentality to a low end mentality. And you'll start to kind of feel good about yourself and you'll be collecting these little points in the back of your mind, like kind of like badass points that is what Mr. Money Mustache, which is a blog that I follow. And he was also a guest on my show is you've get these badass points. Like, yeah, I'm a badass. I'm like, you know, like make making like, like you, you just feel so much better about yourself once you adjust that budget and you start feeling the savings and feeling that, and then you want to reallocate that money and you want to start investing it. So, um, I, I follow uh, the Godfather of finance Warren Buffett's advice. Um, his advice is to dollar cost average, which basically means to buy a set amount every month and consistently invest, um, whether the market is up or down. Because his theory, uh, that theory is that you average on average, you'll end up making money. And I dollar cost average into index funds or growth funds, and it's super easy. And the market has been super high um, the past year two, three years. And I've made about um, 10% of my money, which is awesome. And then I also save money to invest in real estate. And um, that is the residual income part of my equation, which is working out very well. And I'm very excited about that.
0: That's awesome. And 10%, that's uh, that's no joke. I think most, most people are happy with 3%. So that's pretty awesome that you're making 10%. Um, and then, uh, <clears throat> so with your property, um, so, so what, uh, did you read any books about property or how to invest in property or what, did you have any specific strategy, um, or do you have any specific strategies as well to whenever you buy something on the market?
1: I do. Um, my strategy is super easy. It's buy low, sell high. And so I always look into foreclosures. I don't have that many properties. Um, you know, like I said, I'm on my way out the rat race, not out yet, yeah. but you, you always want to buy low, sell high. And, um, You know, if you're not afraid of getting your elbows a little greasy, um, get a foreclosure, get a fixer-upper, fix it up. And, you know, there's all these complicated formulas online to find out, you know, net asset value and whether this property is going to pan out and blah, blah, blah. I do it simple. How much is the mortgage payment? How much did I have to put into it? How much is the residual income? It's so simple, you know. So, say example, you know, you don't have enough cash to buy, you know, a foreclosed property cash, but you have to get a mortgage. And look, just for super simple numbers, the mortgage is five hundred dollars a month. The insurance on the property is hundred dollars a month, and the rental you can rent the property out for, you know, thousand dollars. Well, you're making profit. You're in the green. It's a good good investment. You know, obviously, you want to look for unforeseen problems if you're buying a fixer upper, and but but you know, you just hire people and say, hey, you know, during the appraisal profit um, process, they have an inspection, and you know, especially in Ohio and places like that where the economy and the real estate market really hit. Low, you can find some great deals still, even though the housing market is still recovering. Um, you know, I know in Atlanta there was properties that were ten thousand dollars for a house, and a lot of people say, "Oh, well, you know, that's in the hood." Guess what? People in the hood need to a place to live too. They need to rent too. And my uncle, who is actually a multimillionaire um, as a landlord, he, you know, he started out buying places in the hood because that's all he could afford. And don't be, you know, be afraid of people who are blue collar. That's just insulting to say, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think too, I I think, um, you know, just because it's, I mean, I mean, just like what I'm doing, like my friend owns a bunch of properties and he immediately was like, yeah, I'll rent to you because it's my, my, because I'm his friend. So, I mean, your friends need places to stay too. So I think, you know, I, I think people try to just try to defeat themselves before they even try. I think it's a lot of times people are just looking for excuses when, But in reality, like, so what? Let's say you do buy a house and it doesn't go so well, but guess what? You're going to learn a ton of experience just from trying to do it. So, I mean, obviously the goal is to succeed at what you're doing, but, you know, don't be afraid if you don't succeed. I mean, just make sure that you, that you're doing everything you could do to succeed and then, you know, then learn from the mistakes that you've made. Uh, Yes,
1: yes, 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 yes. Times 20, Drew. You're so right on. And not just that, but be smart about it. Have an extra cushion of money saved up before you invest in the property in case anything happens. You know what I mean? Put some money aside. Um, Form an LLC and put the property in the the LLC so that if everything goes to shit, you can file bankruptcy in the LLC, your credit's still good and you're, you're not you know, harmed and you can invest in another property a couple years later when you have money saved up. Make sure you do the research to protect yourself so that, you know, your whole world doesn't crumble if one rental property goes under.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think um I think that's that's I mean that's the key. I think a lot of times people if they do try to get do get started. I know they don't have an LLC and then they'll put stuff in their name. And if they go bankrupt from that, they'll lose everything. So I think, you know, I mean, just like something you said earlier, like bankruptcy really is a tool for, for you to go out and do business. I mean, it's not, I think, you know, I, I, I understand why, you know, people there, I think a lot of bankruptcy too, you know, just to kind of touch on what you were saying earlier. It's really, I think more of a peer thing. Like, it's just like, it's, it's something that's like been like, uh, People play the shame game. I think, especially around like certain family members, especially if they're not that supportive. But I think in reality, I mean, it. You know, I think it. It just starts with you know knowing what's best for you and building, building yourself. Like how much um, like I know you know, you know, it definitely sounds like you've you've done, you've worked. You know, you read a lot and you work hard on yourself. Like how much is like you know personal growth and self development kind of helps you out? Like have you have you done anything like if you read any books to try to like uh. I guess, uh, well, I, I mean.
1: You're saying how important is yeah. working on myself to develop it. That yeah. is the number one thing. All I can give all of the examples I want, Drew. I can literally tell you step-by-step step how to get out of the rat race and how to become a multimillionaire. And if you don't believe in yourself, and if you don't have the mental know-how, you will never have this happen. I literally have friends, Drew, who are making $400,000 a year. They are in the 1%, and they are in deeper in the rat race than anyone I know. They have so many bills. They're living in million-dollar mansions they can't afford. Why? Because the Mentality is a self-sabotage mentality. They they really don't, they bought into the system and they really don't believe in themselves you know, enough to get out of the system. And so it's really, really important that you work on yourself because you're gonna have naysayers, you're gonna have the negative Nellies that said that are gonna have all sorts of opinions, Drew. Everyone has an opinion, and most of the time it's super negative and not in your best interest. The only person who's gonna have your best interest is you, just like the only person who's gonna have my best interest as me. Even my husband, I don't know. He could have an affair and divorce me tomorrow. I, I have no idea. You know what I mean? Like you just never know. And I hope he does, and I love my husband and he's awesome, but you just never. Ever known? How many times have you heard people? Oh, you know my my wife. I thought everything was great. All of a sudden, she just left me. You know, so you have to have your best interests at all times, and that's not a selfish thing. That's called taking care of yourself, because you know, unfortunately, there's some. Cruelty, some coldness in this world. And the number one thing you can do to help yourself is to read books on personal development, go to seminars, take classes. You know, Robert Kiyosaki, who I love, you know, talks about this all the time. He talks about people who will pay 30, dollars dollars 50000 you know, to go to college and, and they'll get into debt and they'll spend their whole lives paying for for debt and and get into collegiate debt and all this other crap. But then, you know, a $500 real estate seminar that could make them millions of dollars. They're like, Oh, $500. That's too much for a real estate seminar. These are forms of self-sabotage drew. I've paid over $2,000 to go to personal development seminars. And some of them were absolute BS and totally not worth it at all. And some of them were amazing. And I met so many connections and so many people in so many business contexts that it blew my mind. It's not, you know, some of them are scams, but you know what? The amount of information that you will learn from some of these seminars is insane. So I encourage people to get alternative education, go online, go on forums, Google stuff, go to seminars. I mean, the more alternative education, the better. I actually, if I could go back, I would forgo college and spend money just on these type of seminars because you know, the stuff I learned in college really hasn't done anything for me.
0: Yeah. Same here. I know for me personally, um, like I, I'd said before about network marketing, like that was something that really kind of opened a door. Not that, you know, I, I, you know, I gave it like three years and I quickly discovered that that, that wasn't for me, but I think that it definitely is for other people. And, um, but I think, you know, one thing that it did teach me was, you know, we would have these big events and everything else like that. And I would really, I'd put myself in some pretty rough positions to get there, but it definitely paid off in the long run. Like, you know, within a couple of years, like it it didn't necessarily pay out in that business, but I I'd learned enough skills to, to be able to get a really good paying job without finishing my college degree or, and so like, and I, and you know, and I think, um, you know, something you said about Robert Kiyosaki, um, you know, Robert Kiyosaki's rich dad, poor dad book, and like saying learning to sell was something that really pushed me into getting into sales. Like it was just something that, um, And then I ended up being really good at it. And that's how I've made my living for almost 10 years. So I think, you know, I definitely think, you know, picking up his books and reading those are great books. Um, Would you recommend any other books for just the the average person to read just to some place to get started?
1: I don't have a list off the top of my head, Drew, but I can come up with one and email it to you and you can post it on your sample hour website if that helps.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that would be great. I just didn't know if you had any, any book off the top of your head. Um, but um but Jim, yeah
1: Jim anything by Jim Ron is highly encouraged yeah, I love um Jim Robert kiyosaki is awesome you know you want to read you know across the gamut and pick and choose you know what you want I i have read all sorts of real estate books and finance books and personal development books and a lot of them I don't agree with what they say and that's okay you don't have to read these people and say oh well they're a guru they know so much I don't know anything if you don't feel comfortable doing a certain type of investment or you don't feel comfortable you know with this with you know say your husband Wants to invest in real estate and you're just not comfortable yet. You don't feel like you have a big enough financial cushion. You don't feel like you're ready. That's okay. You know, just make sure that you're you're coming from a place of safety and not a place of fear where you're just self-sabotaging. That's those are two different things. But you know, you need to do what you feel comfortable and safe doing. And then you need to trust that decision once you make it. You know, if you already put a down payment on a fourplex, you can't go back then, you know, now if you sign the papers. So now you're committed to this and you need to face it. But the problem is a lot of people are so fearful of taking, you know, the steps and, and they just make up all sorts of fears. You know, I, I've heard all sorts of things from people, you know, oh, I don't want to deal with renters. Oh, I don't want to deal with, you know, I'm not a, a uh, I am not I do not know how to do plumbing. I don't want to be a landlord. Well, then hire someone. It's really not that hard. And, you know, dealing with renters, you know, how often did Do you talk to a landlord? You know, when I was renting, I never talked to my landlord. I would just send the check-in. So these people are just imagining all sorts of worst-case scenarios in their mind about rental properties that really don't exist.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking. Like, I try to avoid my landlord. I don't want to, I don't want them to talk to me at all.
1: I just want, <laughs> I I just want them
0: to leave me alone.
1: Most people don't want to talk to their landlord. They don't want to owe their landlord money. They just want to pay their rent and be left alone. Exactly. But I hear all sorts of people making up all sorts of stories. Oh, I don't want to be a landlord. I'm going to have to deal with renters. Deal with what? Most people, you know, don't even t- talk to their landlord. Like it's literally just bullshit stories people are making up because they're fearful of getting, you know, into investing.
0: Absolutely. And I think something else too, like what you were saying, like if you, you know, if you do, are going to look at these potential hurdles, then try to find ways that you can not deal with them. Like try to, try to position yourself so that if it does happen, like you said, you have a management company or something like that. I think, I, cause I, I think, you know, definitely people can, you know, turn uh, investment property into a job for themselves, but If it's done correctly, that's not going to be the case. And I think, you know, so just, you know, if you're doing your due diligence and you're thinking stuff out, then everything's going to be okay. Like, you know, it it kind of comes back to working on yourself and like, you know, being able to bet on yourself and knowing that you're going to make good decisions. I think, you know, I think it all kind of comes full circle.
1: Well, Drew, I think it's important to get out of the system and surround yourself with like-minded people. That's the number one thing because so many people are just brainwashed by the system that they become mindless. I don't know if you've had this experience, Drew, where you just run into people at the grocery store or in the parking lot or whatever, and it seems like they're just like in zombie mode. They've lost all common sense, right?
2: Absolutely. (laughs)
1: we deal with that on a regular basis and then we're like oh my god these people are just idiots like what's going on here and and it's just that so many people are just in zombie mode consumer mode go to go to work you know go home bring pick up the kids and die mode and it's really depressing And they don't even realize that they're zombies
0: yeah i yeah i definitely see that they're they turn into humanoids rather than human beings (laughs) uh, (laughs) yeah and uh you know and, and that's it's just definitely and i think it's you know it's and it, and it kind of goes back to, you know, just just, you know, they're, they've embraced the the American nightmare, which they think is the American dream. And they, you know, I, I know in my, you know, where I'm in Ohio, you know, people, people get married really young and then they pop out kids and they're not necessarily ready. They didn't go to counseling before they had kids. They didn't go to counseling before they had married. They got married. And not saying that you have to do that. But I think, you know, if it kind of helps, I mean, I know most of the people that I know that are successful know, really had some just discussions amongst each other about having children or about being married, like had some serious discussions. And, and I think, you know, it's, 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 I think people just become overwhelmed. Like they, in their mind, they've done everything that they, that they've, that they were told to do, you know, get a, go to school, get good grades, get a good job with some good benefits. And then they, they kind of get there and they're still kind of waiting on like that, that manual on okay, this is how it is to be an adult. This is how you position yourself. Or they just believe that, you know, you know, this is just what you do. This is just something that you got to do when that's not the case. I mean, I think, you know, you know, we're, we are here, you know, for me personally, I believe this is our only time here. So I, I, you know, I think that, you know, you got to make the most of it and you got to continue to challenge yourself and learn. And I think if you don't do that, then yeah, you just turn into a zombie. I mean, I know Personally, you know, when I didn't have any light at the end of the tunnel for myself, um, you know, I was I was depressed, I drank too much and and I was definitely one of those people. And I think that um it's an easy trap to fall into. And I think, you know, it just takes uh, you know, it takes some courage and it's gonna take some work to kind of get out of it. But then once you're out of it, like you're gonna be so motivated to never go back that you're just gonna continue to want to 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 benefit yourself and to continue to make strives and everything else like that. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, that's a great point.
1: I think I think you made a really good point, too, about, you know, people think that it's the best they can do or that it's something that they're supposed to do. And I just want to say, first of all, if you're thinking this way in the 21st century, you're actually living in the 17th century, because with the Internet, and everything that's out there, if you have a desire for something more, there's literally no excuse. Unless you're living in a country where there's a you know restrictive government, they're censoring everything and and you, you know, don't have access to a certain internet websites. So you're living in like North Korea or something, really there's no excuse. If you Google how to do this, there's a thousand YouTube videos on it, there's a, you know, a million Google pages on it. So you don't have to blaze trails anymore, Drew. You just have to find someone who's done what you want to do and literally just copy them. Like that's all you have to do. And it's so easy. You know what I mean? So you don't have to blaze any trails. It's not the age of blazing trails happened, you know, in 1901. It's over now. All the trails have been blazed. So all we're going to do now is just find someone successful. Hey, I want to do this and literally just copy them. I'm not talking about plagiarism. I'm talking about look at them as a role model and take their advice and do what they've said. And It's really not hard. What happens is most of us sabotage ourselves because we don't have the emotional intelligence or we grew up in a dysfunctional or abusive household and we haven't gotten help from it. Now, I'm not saying every single person needs to go to a therapist, but like you said, you know, people need to have a discussion about things. Therapy does help, you know, counseling does help, and also, you know, the internet, there's tons of forums out there where you can get information on how not to self-sabotage yourself. You can, you know, but you have to deal with your demons in the closet and get rid of it because we're here to be the best people we're here to be. We're here to you know shine and glow and be lights and and be free and do whatever we want not be indentured servitudes and help others and all this amazing stuff like that's what we're here for like what else like we're just here to work until we die that doesn't even make sense you know what i mean we're here to do something better whether it's stand up to make someone laugh or or just be there for your kids and be a really great freaking dad because you're not you know a zombinoid because you're, you know, at work 24 seven, there's so many th- reasons, whatever your reason is, it's, it's gotta be better than, you know, the, the drone lifestyle of, you know, zombie humanoid.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent agreed. Uh, you made so many good points there. Um, you know, something you were talking about too, with communication, I heard you, um, talk to Jake DeSoulis about it on your podcast. And it was really good. You know, just the importance of discussing finances with your spouse you know we're we're trying to inspire people to, to get out there and try to break free of the rat race and you know if you have a a spouse like how how important is it to to have a supportive spouse
1: it's really important and you need to have this discussion before you marry the person if we're in case you marry the wrong person <laughs> <laughs> you also need to talk about kids before you get married, which a lot of people don't do. And then what happens is they have kids and they end up getting divorced because their styles of raising children are different, which is really important. Yeah. And that tears up a lot of marriages. So these are really important conversations to have with people. You know, finances are the number one thing that our um, number one cause of divorce or number one cause of strife or argument within a relationship, according to statistical data. And so obviously, we should talk about these things. But what happens is a lot of people were taught, oh, it's taboo to talk about money. Oh, you know, that's not something that we discuss in this household. Well, guess what, the way that you grew up was dysfunctional and unhealthy. And the the healthy thing to do is talk about problems. So you need to sit down with your spouse and create a budget, create a financial goal. And as you know, the first year of being with my husband, we actually fought about money. And once we got on the same page, now we're like, you know, superhero warrior team, because we're going for the same goal. And it's like, super fun to have someone that's on your side, like, you know, championing for you. Um, and so it's very, very important. And, you know, we're, we're a team, you know, I sell stuff online as a side job on eBay and, and Amazon and Craigslist and stuff like that. And, you know, when I sell stuff on Craigslist, sometimes I'll need, you know, my husband to drop off something, hey, somebody wants to meet to buy this book or buy this, you know, weird thing that I'm selling, can you meet them? i you know, I'm busy and he'll be or I have a show, you know, doing stand up and, you know, he'll go and do it. And not because he gets a personal gain from it, because we take that money and we put it into our investing fund. It's because it's, you know, part of his, pers- you know, our team getting out of the rat race. So he has an incentive to do that. And you really feel united, like you're working towards a goal on a team when you have your spouse or significant other, or boyfriend or girlfriend on your side. Or even, you know, if you're living at home with your parents and you guys are doing it as a family goal.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think it's important to, and, and and that touches base with, you know, surrounding yourself with good people And, you know, and it's, 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 you know, when you have somebody else to hold you accountable to in this, you know, progressive ideal, um, you know, progression towards a worthy ideal, I think that's, that's something too, that carries weight. I mean, that's something like, you know, iron sharpens iron, um, or, you know, as Jim Rohn always said, always try to sharpen the saw. And, uh, and I think that's, that's, that's just so important. Um, even so if you're not married just to find, you know, maybe find other people or, proactively look for, for other people that are, that have similar goals that align with yours.
1: And if for some reason you're in a really secluded area, again, there's the internet and you know, you can find people on forums online. And if you're really, really desperate and for some reason you're super antisocial and bad at making friends, (laughs) you can always (laughs) pay someone to be your financial coach and they have these all over, you know, they will gladly accept your money to kick your butt into gear.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and do your, do some shopping too beforehand. Like, but even if someone's bad, the nice thing about paying somebody for a service services, you can always fire them. So if you don't, <laughs> if you don't like them, you can you can just say, you know, I, I want somebody else. But um, well, anyways, Rosie, I tell you what, um, you know, we're kind of we're kind of we're kind of approaching an hour quickly here. I wanted to ha- let you give you some time to promote some some other things that you have going on. I know you're. a, uh, stand-up comic, and do you have any big shows or anything like that coming up that you'd like people to come and see you at?
1: I do. Do you time time release, or how do you do it?
0: Um, So, I can actually get this one out pretty quick, but I do have some episodes stacked up, so, but... Um there's okay, big show, um, I can so put this if out you guys sooner.
1: are in the L.A. area, I actually have a television taping on April 4th. That's a Saturday at 8 p.m. at the Ivar in Hollywood. Um, but what I would really love for you guys to do is go on outoftheboxpodcast.com or go on iTunes, Stitcher or SoundCloud and subscribe. Um, guys, I want to say this because, you know… Uh, Some of you guys will tweet at me and say, hey, Rosie, come to Columbus, or hey, Rosie, come to New York. Guys, tweeting at me and saying, hey, Rosie, come to Columbus does not do anything at all. (laughs) You have to tweet at me and then tweet at the local comedy club and say, please bring Rosie Tran to this comedy club.
0: (laughs) That's very true. So get on their Facebook groups and say, hey, I love this comic and, you know, spam their walls with Rosie videos yeah, that's what that gets Rosie it done because people
1: will tweet at me. Hey, Rosie, can you come to, you know, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho? And I'm like, <laughs> I can, but tweeting at me doesn't do
0: anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. If you want to bring a comic to your town, you know, something you got to do is bug, you know, you are, you know, use your purchasing power. So you are the person that's going to fill the seat. So, you know, if you want, go bug your local comedy club about it. Be, be annoying. It's okay. Be annoying. Eventually they're going to want. Just to shut you up, to bring Rosie out there, and uh, and go on their Facebook group and go say stuff about that, like say positive things about Rosie, tweet them. They have Twitter accounts as well. We all do in these days, so that's they a great do. way to get things done. I mean, even if you want to get credits on like your your cable bill or something, tweeting things out like that—that's a great way. But you can use it for positive too, like get, making Rosie t- Tran come to your town.
1: Yes. And also another thing you could do is if you go out to see comedy regularly, usually on the tabletop of the comedy club, they have a little, you know, three by four piece of paper that says questions, comments or whatever. And they'll say, you know, who do you want to see, you know, come through and you can put my name on there too. And like 90% of comedy clubs have those little uh, pieces of paper on their, on their uh, tabletops.
0: Yes, they do. And they encourage you to write because that's, that's what they want you to do. So Right. Yes. I want to see Rosie Tran come to my comedy town or come exactly. to my town for the comedy club. Um, so, yes. Yeah, so uh, uh, so people can follow you on Twitter. You're at funny Rosie. Um, I got that right. Right, Rosie.
1: You did. Okay. Although I don't tweet that much funny stuff. I'm more ranty and I tweet more about personal development and and finances and other things like that. And a lot of puppy pics. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: that's always good. Puppy pics make you smile. Um, so and then your website is out of the box.com. And then also you have a rosytran.com as well, or is it funny Rosie? I do. It's
1: it's outoftheboxpodcast dot actually.
0: Okay. Okay, and
1: and rosytran.com And, you know, I really love positive comments and, and subscriptions and likes and other things like that. You know, a lot of times people, they want to donate to the podcast, but they don't have any money or they, you know, whatever. I, I'm like, all right, that's cool. Just go and click on subscribe. And that helps me out even more than a financial donation.
0: Yeah. And, a, and a iTunes review really does too. Like a lot of people don't get that iTunes doesn't make recommendations based off of downloads. It's just a mirroring site. What it makes recommendations off of is how many reviews you give a podcast and in comments so give rosie uh listen to the podcast if you guys haven't heard it yet it's really good give her a great review um and uh and i'm just trying to think anything else uh anything else about that
1: well i don't know if you've had this experience drew but maybe sometimes i bring on a guest and they're really cool guests and they're really smart and awesome but they their views necessarily don't match my views. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So don't judge me by the guests. If you listen to an episode or two and you don't like it, you know, try another one or try, try a different guest because, you know, I invite awesome people on all the time because I want different points of views. And sometimes the person is not what I expected, but I still post the episode. And, uh, you know, so there's varied people, varied guests.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, very good. Well, anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening to the show. Rosie, thank you so much for uh, giving me an hour of your time today. I really appreciate it.
1: Drew, thank you so much for having me, and I hope all of your listeners the best of luck, and I hope that all of them get out of the rat race and reach their financial dreams.
0: Me as well, me as well. All right, guys, well, thank you so much for listening, and, uh, and, and I'll talk to
2: you soon. it